from Los Angeles, California. This is the Rider Strike Chronicles podcast, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Wednesday, January 9th, 2008, day 66 of the Rider's Strike. In today's episode, I head out to the picket line at CBS Radford Studios to revisit with strike captain Bill Froelich. In this episode, Bill shares with us how he's keeping his creative edge as we go into the ninth week of the strike. He also tells us his experience of what it was like to work with his mentor, the legendary Rod Serling. Just a word before we begin. When I first began this podcast series, I had no idea what it took to become a guild writer. For example, I didn't know that mentoring was an important aspect of the business. But it's something I discovered as I heard stories on the lines about how every writer got their big break and who it was that helped guide and nurture their career. Bill is no exception, and he had many stories to tell about Rod Serling that I wish I had the presence of mind to capture on tape before we officially began this interview. Later on in this discussion, I asked Bill the equivalent of the Zen Cone, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody is around to hear it, does it make a sound? With the analogy that, if one's manuscript or blog never gets read, published, or produced, does that make them a writer? I really appreciate what Bill had to say about this question, as well as his thoughts about the craft and the process of writing. So, without any further ado, let's listen to what Bill had to say. Hi, this is Bill Froelich, and I'm a writer director and producer uh, so I'm a member of both uh, the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild and uh, this is the second time around with you Tanya yeah. which is great to see that you're still doing this because it's a nice little podcast helping keeping everybody on top of what's going on plus sharing other thoughts and I guess you were talking uh, I heard you talking about uh, how some people got started and mentors that they were using and also what are people doing to kind of keep themselves creatively fresh at the moment and what are you doing? Well, besides walking in uh, circles, making left turns, getting ready for NASCAR, uh, <laughs> uh, I am on my own projects, projects that are not tied to any studio or network at, at the moment because we are not allowed to write on those. And I have some of those projects that are now completely on hold. But on projects of my own that I am doing on spec, I get up every morning before I get ready to, to come to do my picketing duties, and I work on some of those projects to keep myself kind of creatively in the groove, and they are both uh, screenplays and uh, uh, a novel and a play, actually. So between going back and forth between the three of them, it keeps my mind kind of fresh. I'm not uh, just in one groove all the time. I also have been uh, been having some meetings with some people uh, who have some venture capital and trying to work out a, uh, not only something for uh, some smaller feature films, but for some future productions on the web, which is still a, clearly an evolving situation. But there have been some excellent articles in the Los Angeles Times about writers should take into their own hands the means of getting their product out there. And there is a lot of money. Funny or die, I got $15 million from Sequoia Capital. Oh, that's great. You got his phone number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exactly, I think, what we should be doing. I have worked in the world of um, gathering venture capital before. It's, uh, it is challenging. It takes a while to pull it all together. When you do, it can be worth it. But like anything else, it's a challenging road and sometimes a, a long one. Epic. 
Yes, sometimes too much. You were talking before about, I guess, talking a little bit about mentors and, and mentoring. And I think that's something that's really helpful for writers at all points in their careers, whether you're at the beginning, in the middle, or even, I think, at any particular time to find someone who can mentor you is, uh, is very helpful. I know that most writers that I know have a, a small group of friends that they can rely on to comment on their own material and helps keep you sharp people that you can trust to give you the kind of feedback that you really need where they are telling you what you need to hear as opposed to what you what you yeah, want to hear yeah. and that's very helpful so even at this point in my career I've been doing this now for a while I've done a lot of television series as a, a showrunner or co-showrunner and I've done television movies I've done some small features I look at any time I can find someone who who I can interact with uh, especially someone who I think has some talent that I'd really like to glean from. I find that very helpful. It's like when you play tennis Mm -hmm. with someone who's better than you are. Your Mm -hmm. game rises up. Mm -hmm. So I find that very helpful. And, And I was extremely fortunate when I began because my original mentor in this business was Rod Serling, which I'm still kind of in awe of. Uh, he was a visiting professor at my college, Ithaca College, and I took every seminar that he gave back there. He would come back a couple times a year because he had a house on Lake Cayuga. Ithaca uh, sits on top of a hill overlooking uh, one of the Finger Lakes. And Cornell University, many people know, is also in, in Ithaca. We used to talk about the fact that uh, we at Ithaca looked down on Cornell because we were higher up on the hill. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, Wait, Cornell's uh, famous for their engineers, right? Uh, engineers and, uh, well, for quite a lot of things. Obviously, it's a top Ivy League yeah. college, but... Uh, I think the Cornell song was we used to we changed the words a little bit high above Cayuga's waters. <laughs> there's an awful smell, and you know it must be Corn- Cornell. But uh, I have a uh, few friends that are Cornell alumni. I'm going to share this with them. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do too, and it's a uh, it's a great school. And Ithaca was a great college town because of Cornell University and okay. Ithaca College, and people who were professors there and studying, and people who came from all over the world. So it was it was you quite a group of people were there that you could interact with. And still to this day, it's a fascinating small city to live in. But these courses that I took from Rod were really great. He kept saying he didn't think he was a good teacher. And yet he didn't realize how great a teacher he was because he was such an inspiration. And one of the things that I've always remembered that he said about writing was he said, if you want to write... That doesn't necessarily make you a writer, but if you need to write, if you have to get the story down on paper and tell it regardless of whether it's ever going to be seen by anyone, read by anyone, or have you paid for it, then you're on the verge to being a writer when you really need to get that expression out. I just had a conversation with a guy who was saying that most some stuff he sees on the internet is crap, which is true. But just because there's it's crap and just because nobody's reading it, does that mean they're not a writer? Well, that's a that's a very good question. I think if somebody continues to write and is putting forth the effort and getting it out there, that in that degree they are a writer. You know, the world of artistic expression is one that is quite varied, and there is, I think, a nobility in effort. And art is something that is very subjective. Some people are going to look at a show and think, oh, that's crap, That I, just, I don't get that show at all. Other people are going to think it's the greatest thing that they've seen. 
And that is going to shift over time. There's usually a general consensus among a lot of people as to what, you know, what is great, what is a great work, what is great writing. But even even that can can change at times. So I think just the fact that we're able to express ourselves and get it out there, and if one does it on a continual basis, writing begets writing. And the more that you do, I think you can't help but get better because you begin to see yourself what works and your own self-expression begins to form in a way that is more cogent, that is more powerful, that begins to express itself in ways that people really then receive the images, the impression, the emotions, the message that you're trying to get across. And that's one of the things that some new people coming into writing, especially writing for television or writing for motion pictures, don't seem to understand that you should always keep writing because you will get better. Your work will improve. You will find better ways of expressing it. And you will find better ways of tapping into who you are and getting it expressed on paper. And that was one of the things that I also learned from Rod Serling, because he had a compulsion to write these stories and to express the things that he powerfully felt. He was an extremely articulate man and funny with such a biting, sardonic wit that was great to listen to and and clearly one of the most talented writers that has come through the business but he really felt compelled to write a lot of the stories that he was writing and it came from deep parts within him that he really needed to express and I think when a writer an individual artist finds that spot within themselves and has the courage to just let it go and let it rip on the page without concern of what it's going to become, that's when I think you do your best work. When you write with unintentionality, when you write without the intention of this necessarily becoming a particular movie or piece or being sold for a certain amount of money. Art for art's sake. Well, art for art's sake and also art for your sake, because I think things, when they become most personal, that's when they can also be most universal. You will connect with more people through your own individual heart than if you try to guess what everybody wants to see and hear. And I remember reading an interview with Stephen King, one of the most prolific authors, uh, and he talked about the fact that in the morning he did his bread and butter work. Uh And that was the work in which he had a contract Uh that he had to deliver a book to a publisher. But in the afternoon, he would then write for himself. He would write projects that he, when he started them, he had no idea whether they were going to be any good. He had no idea what they were going to become or if they would ever sell. And he didn't really care. He just needed to express these. And some of those projects turned out to be some of the better things Uh that he wrote. One that I know, for example, was uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, which became the movie that Frank Darabont wrote and directed of the Shawshank Redemption, one of the great movies of the last 20 years, and, you know, maybe the last 50 years, just a terrific film and a terrific script based on a great short story by Stephen King that he did without intention of what it should be. I think that's a key for for writers to, to know. And that was one of the things that Rod imparted to a lot of us who took his little seminars, was to really write from that special place inside and feel that need to get it out on paper and express who you are through that that medium. Now, you were part of all three guilds, your WGA, DGA, and SAG. Which one do you most identify with? 
very good. That's, uh, that's interesting. Well, I, I, in the beginning, I, I did repertory theater as an actor, and I did theater in college, and I loved acting. I still love acting. It's a lot of fun, but I have not really pursued acting. Um, I am a member of SAG because I have hired myself a couple times when I was executive producer <laughs> of a series, so the audition was pretty, pretty easy. <laughs> so I can't really... I, I love actors, and I love working with actors. It's just a natural extension for me of, of writing and directing expression. Uh, expression and I love the magic on the set when you are directing especially something directing something that you've written when you've had a vision all along and you're working with the actors on the set and their contribution to your vision begins to enlarge in the vision and you all find that point where the magic starts to happen and it all it starts to take on a life of its own that just gives me goosebumps every time so I, I guess I like the I like the confluence of all three. So as far as, it, but I'm probably closer to writing and directing, kind of in concert. I I like the writing process. I like being able to create something alone, um, just within my own imagination. But I love the collaborative process of working with other people as a director uh, on the set, not just obviously with the actors, but with all the people of your crew and, and, and staff and the other department heads, because you work with such talented people. And the ideas that start flowing are, are really fantastic and quite exciting. And it's like being on a uh, you know, riding the, the rapids, and it's just I, I find it an incredible high, and I I like being able to be visually expressive as well as verbally expressive. I find that I have these kind of two halves of myself. So if I'm only able to to do one half, I, I feel a little left out in a way on the other. So I, I kind of identify with both equally. I've obviously in my career I've done far more writing than I have directing, and I'm looking forward to directing more things that I've written out. It's one of the things I'm I'm working on. Uh, so I've had far more experience in continuing to write. In fact, it was Rod Serling who started me writing because I originally only wanted to be a director. And I wrote some things for him in this class, and he pulled me aside and he said, you know, I think you have a feeling for this. You kind of have a flair for it. You should do it. And I said, well, Rod, I, I just want to direct. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, you can write your way into directing. And he was, he was absolutely correct about that. And, and being a writer has helped make me a better director, and I think that's being a director has made me a better writer, and acting classes that I have taken has made me a better writer and director. And, uh, so I, I think it's all tied together. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to say to, to artists in general, not writers, artists, actors, painters, as we wrap this up? Hmm. Well, speaking to the whole world of artists. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a heavy-duty thing to say. Well, I, you know, I art is something that... I mean, it's in each and every one of us, and we all express it in various ways. No matter what our jobs are, it is a part of everyone's life. Some people, actually, their art becomes a, a, a specific form of how they express their living through writing, mm -hmm. painting, sculpting, music, uh, whatever. But for those writers and, and painters and other artists out there... It is the expression of our humanity, and I think that art is what moves our culture forward. And one of the things that, that I become very concerned about with how the commercialization... The commoditization of art. Exactly. That commoditization that you're talking about, 
sometimes that threatens the storytelling process, which is what I'm closest to in, in my heart, because I think the stories we tell each other from the times we were in caves, sitting around campfires, are those things in which we see ourselves. We see ourselves expressed, and it helps our culture move forward and contains elements of our culture. And when that becomes overly commoditized without people following their artistic bent and, and saying what expressing what they really feel and really need to say, then I think our society has a real problem of of not getting enough human truth expressed among among all of us and a real honest expression of that uh, you know in a lot of interviews you'll hear a lot of actors and directors saying they're always they're trying to get to the truth of their performance or they're trying to to get the truth expressed on screen and and a writer is i think trying to to do the same thing, to feel that, uh, express that truth as they see it, as they feel it, uh, you know, at the moment. And I think that helps all of us examine who we are, ask those deep questions. What is this all about? How do we move forward as an individual? How do we move forward as a community, a society, a country, a nation? And as we've seen, there are many great books, movies, stories, articles, expressions of art that have helped society sometimes stand up and actually move in a better and different direction. So it's not a small thing, but it can become a small thing if it turns into merely a simple commodity and an element of business without any expression of human truth. Awesome. Um, my last question to you is, what do you think is the most powerful invention, the printing press or the Internet? <laughs> wow. Each, well, each for its own time, I guess, because each one, the printing press certainly had a huge impact on, on society, and so many things would not have moved forward without the, the, the printing press. The Internet, I guess, is probably the, the next galactic step forward in a major change in culture and society because it is going to kind of flatten out the world, as Thomas Friedman, uh, the New York Times, might say from his, his book. It's, uh, <laughs> nice. It, nice. Um, it is something that is going to allow almost every individual to have some kind of access to express what they're saying. Now, that's going to cause, for a while, I think, an, a, an amazing array of potential chaos. And crap. <laughs> and crap that we will, have to, we will have to sort through. But it is, it's certainly going to open the floodgates. Now, how we, that's what the, the next five, ten years are going to be very interesting to see how, as human beings, do we deal with the onslaught of this, this technology. Um, because it is going to allow everybody to find some form of, of expression. And we'll have to be, um, we'll, we'll all have to be alert that the storytelling process doesn't get diluted to the point where it doesn't mean anything yeah. anymore. But hopefully, that which resonates deeply and truthfully for all human beings will continue to rise through the so-called crap and, and find a special place where it resonates with, uh, with a lot of individuals. That's my hope. Thank you very much. You're it's welcome. a very hopeful future. I'm looking forward to that future. Well, good luck with your chronicles. I think you're doing a, a great series here because you know, I've listened to a lot of the other people you've, uh, you've talked to and, and you've had some fascinating discussions with people. It's great to hear everybody's thoughts. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Writer Strike Chronicles podcast. For more information, visit our blog at wgastrike2007.blogspot.com.